So, Steve, you, have you been in the Mojave National Preserve? I mean, have you checked that out at all? No, because it's the desert and I hate heat. Uh, it's it's, it's <laughs> thousands of acres of uh, desert between the 15 and the 40. Any time I can not uh, sweat is uh, great for me. Yes. Oh, Andy loves sweating. You guys it's sweat. why I like swimming more than any other athletic thing to, to do to lose weight. It's like, I might be sweating, but I have no idea. <laughs> I had to sweat in the desert. It does, it, it just uh, evaporates off of you. Yeah. Uh, sure. Dust. Leaves no, yeah. no residue whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not a big fan of salt rings. I'll just say that. I am, but in a whole different way. Well... <laughs> you just like salt licks, Todd. That too. It's my Clint Black cover band. <laughs> Welcome, folks, to Geek Shock number 569. I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Belchy K. Fact Check Dandy. <laughs> Professor Biggs. And we're here to talk week and geek. Oh, gentlemen, uh, Christmas. How was Christmas for you in this weird time of not seeing people? Christmas? What's Christmas? I got sick. Do I need like, to go get like tested? <laughs> <laughs> I got, I, I don't know if it was a little bit of food poisoning oh. or if oh, it was yeah. just excess, but uh, yeah, I threw up. I spent a couple, <laughs> I spent about an hour running to the bathroom and throwing up a couple times. Well, knowing where you were, Kay, I'm going to say it was excess. Might have been, except that uh, yeah. Steve got a little sick too. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I actually got sick at the place and immediately felt better. And that's yeah, usually was... a food poisoning thing. Yeah. I don't want specifics. Uh, was this homemade things or takeout? Homemade. Homemade. Oh, wow. By Patricia and Letitia. <laughs> and, uh... I want specifics. <laughs> but it, Yay. It, guess where my first you know. edit is. No, no. Those, those are <laughs> fake names, you fool. Um, I just felt miserable most of the night. Um, Mm. and on the way to Patricia and Letitia's, my car started acting up, which was fun. Oh, goodness sakes. Jeff, uh, very kindly, socially distancedly came over the other day and did the little diagnostic doohickey on the car. So I don't know if I have a spark plug issue and an ignition coil issue or what, but my mm. car is uh, acting up. So all all in good fun. 2020 is 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 not going out without a fight. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> and nor will it. There's still a few days left. So mm. brace yourselves, everybody. Because because 2020's younger brother's coming up, and I hear he's a little Dennis the Menace himself. So <laughs> <laughs> that's a, a a character from TV and comics from yesteryear, kids. Dennis the Menace. <laughs> Yeah, you can ask Andy about it. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> Technically, I'm the old man this week. Indeed, sir. Indeed, you are. <laughs> this is the week that Wonder Woman dropped on HBO Max and, of course, to the cinemas for those who could go out, especially those who've got it uh, elsewhere in the world that can you know, actually go out and do things. Hi, Mandy. And so, uh, but I believe everybody here has watched Wonder Woman 84. 
So, like last week, we will do another spoiler talk at the end of this episode, talking about Wonder Woman 84. And, of course, we'll give you plenty of warning monkeys if uh, you haven't seen it so you don't get spoiled. Uh, so, but again, that'll happen at the end of the show with plenty of warning. Stay with us if you watched it or don't mind being spoiled, but uh, come back to us uh, once you've seen it. So, gentlemen, what geeky things did you do this week? Steve, what did you do? You know, being in Vegas, I, I like to go visit Ralph at uh, Alternative Reality Comics, and he's having a 20% off sale on the graphic novels. I'm, I'm, getting, my, I'm getting my kickback uh, after this. But anyway, so um, I remembered uh, hearing Kirsten talk about Jupiter's legacy a couple of times. And I was like, well, all right, I'll finally crack that nut. And it was pretty amazing. And so the next week I went back and cleared Ralph out of all of his Jupiter's, you know, legacy and uh, Jupiter's circle graphic novels. It's pretty good. If you haven't, you know, I mean, it's, you know, what, about 10 years old at this point? If you haven't checked it out, I, I heartily recommend it. For Jupiter's Legacy, I, I've only read that first graphic novel. So, going forward into Jupiter's circle, circle, is it as good, better, less than? Uh, I haven't gotten to Jupiter's Circle yet. I just bought the okay. graphic novels. I'm halfway into book two of Jupiter's Legacy. Oh, okay. Um, Jupiter's Legacy is better. Kirsten and I watched uh, Midnight Sky. That's the yeah. um, the really slow burn disaster movie. It's really much more of a character thing. Something fairly vague has happened to the atmosphere on Earth, and it, it, the atmosphere is now poison. So George Clooney plays uh, a terminal uh, astronomer at one of the last uh, radio uh, telescopes in the Arctic Circle. And there is a returning mission to one of Jupiter's moons coming back, and they've lost, of course, contact with everyone for three weeks. So he's trying to get to a larger radio telescope to kind of tell them what's up. It, it's okay. It, it's very much a slow burn. Kirsten said he looked on online and people were talking about it having a M. Night Shyamalan twist ending. Kind of. And not just one, but maybe two. <laughs> There's one major one, one kind of minor one. Like, like the major twist is like, it's helpful storytelling wise because it gives George Clooney somebody to talk to. And therefore, we, the audience, start to understand things a little bit more. But like I say, the disaster itself is so vague and, you know, everything that it's it, it's kind of pointless to me. On balance, I liked it, but it's not great. And But I will say that the, the space physics for the returning mission, they got that all pretty much right. And so yeah. that, that I, I, the scientific accuracy of the space mission, I thought, was really, really pretty good. Some of the best I've seen since Interstellar for the last five minutes of Interstellar. <laughs> I kind of would have preferred the whole thing that takes place on that returning mission and him and them trying to figure out what happened. But, you know, George Clooney's okay. I just think that uh, I don't know, the story missed for me. So what was that called again? Uh, the Midnight Sky on Netflix. And also in, in theaters where you can actually go to a theater. Uh, Anything um, else, Steve? I try to bring a selection of Blu-rays, and so I brought a classic from 1970, Colossus the Forbin Project. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, they had just come out with a new Blu-ray of it with all kinds of bells and whistles and audio commentary and all that, and I was like, well, okay, I'm buying that. Um, because not only did I like the movie when it came out, I it's also based on a, on a book, which is actually 
a book series of it's a trilogy of books. Pretty cool about a supercomputer that basically takes over the you know it was charged with keeping the United States safe, but ultimately it finds that the Soviet Union has another one. They join up, and then the entire supercomputer pretty much takes over the world. It it was really good. I it kind of holds up. And then plus, if you're a fan of uh, Universal science fiction TV series and and movies from the 70s, you'll hear where they where they mined a lot of their special uh, where they mine their sound effects from, <laughs> including the and the book trilogy by D. F. Jones. Uh, it's pretty good. The last one kind of goes off the rails a little bit. Ultimately, the second book is is the aftermath of the computer taking over. Colossus is trying to figure out uh, how to become more human and what makes humans human. A religious cult grows up around the cult of Colossus kind of thing. It's pretty good. But then Forbin starts receiving messages he ultimately figures out are from space of how to defeat Colossus. And and he does. In the, well, should I give the way a spoiler for a 50-year-old book? <laughs> I, I think in this case, you're probably fine. <laughs> uh, so at the end of the fall of Colossus, we find out that, that in fact, yeah, the signals were sent from an alien race. Who, and once they defeat Colossus, they say, thanks, we're going to take over now. <laughs> and so that's what the third book is about. So, yeah. Uh, and then the last thing is, it. I forget how it came up, but I was telling Kirsten about this time. Oh, I know what it was. We were talking about replay again. And I said, yeah, if I could pick a time to go back to and to send my consciousness back to and be aware of everything that I, that I, everything I know now, I have a very, very specific date. And that would be my birthday in uh, 1980 because, or that's the summer that uh, I got voluntarily terminated from Disneyland. Voluntarily terminated. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So. I will try to make this short because, you know, hour and a half podcast. So basically what happened was, you know, I doodle, I draw. I, at, at one point I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. So, so I was, I was working stock in the shops at the Disneyland hotel and what, in what is now downtown Disney. But back then they actually had all these uh, buildings that, you know, belonged to the old Disneyland hotel. And in the basement is where we had our stock rooms. And we had a we had a check-in room, and also where we kept the broken merchandise before we you know got rid of that and everything, where we did all our paperwork. And so if it was slow, I would grab a blank piece of paper or something like that and start doodling these uh, editorial cartoons. And it was of course of people in management, all this type of stuff. And I thought I kept them nicely hidden in the back of a drawer, you know, behind some stuff. So I came down one day and was going to do another one. So I reached back there for you know the paper and everything, and it was all gone. And I was like, oh, oh no, what happened? Well, my, my friends thought that hidden in the back of the drawer was not the best place for them. So they stuck them all uh, on the back of the door leading into the stock room. And they said, and it should be safe because this door is always open. Nobody's ever going to look back there because... You know, we only close it when we leave the room. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. an idiot. Yeah, um, like an Todd, idiot. just so you know, while while Steve is telling me this, uh -huh. I, I looked at him and I went, 
and you were okay with this. And Steve was like, I was okay with this. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm, did you sign these things? Yeah. Oh, oh, it was pretty obvious. Yeah. It had little, little FB uh, 1980 in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how old were you at the time, Steve? I'm sorry. 22. Oh, there's your problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was young and stupid. Young, and dumb, so, dumb. so needless to say, I come down once and there's our general manager. I kind of like see the half of her kind of sticking out of the room and the door is like, you know, halfway closed. And I just was like, oh, and she's, and she kind of looked out and saw me there. And, and then my immediate supervisor was right behind her and he kind of had this like smirk of like, and there's also this look <laughs> on his face of, oh, dude. <laughs> and she was just like, well, 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 somebody's certainly talented. And then they kind of <laughs> left. And I was like, oh my God. So I immediately took them all down, put them in a folder, took them home. <laughs> wow. And um, so that was strike one. Strike one. Strike. <laughs> just strike one. Yes. Yeah. Strike, strike two happens. <laughs> We had a summer kickoff Disney's 25th anniversary celebration party talent show thing. And the people that were putting it together uh, asked me if I would host. And I said, I said, sure, yeah, get me a white tie and tails. <laughs> yeah, white tuxedo and tails. They're like, Ugh, all right, all right, Mr. Showbiz, whatever. <laughs> so I did. And of course, those things, you know, you, you have to stretch. Uh, occasionally, people aren't quite ready to go and all this. And again, Underground, it it was known that I did impressions of people in management. Oh no! And so, <laughs> when, during one of those stretches, somebody yelled out, "Do Ernie! Do Ernie!" And I was like, oh, "No, guys, I like my job. No, I'm not going to do Ernie." And and then we had another stretch, and I was like, "Okay, so uh, and they're like, do Ernie, do Ernie," and I go, "Do Ernie." So what saved me was Ernie was most of these impressions were if we were ever going to do a movie about Unoco about which is the you know little side company that ran those shops then who would we cast as these people and and my thing was well we'd have to get Brando to play Ernie and so my Ernie impression was basically just me doing Marlon Brando but you know the line was uh Bob you look at my window displays as if they was a bug and everyone just <laughs> died laughing. Ernie was laughing. And it's like, yeah, yeah. And so so then we had another stretch. And somebody was like, do Dave, do Dave. And I was like, okay, Dave's pretty, Dave's pretty tame. It's just, oh, Lord. And they're like, oh, my God, yes, it's Dave. Oh, whoa. So, so then another stretch came. And then, then our general manager, we decided, would be played by Rip Torn. But Rip Torn playing Richard Nixon. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> and I can't even remember how that went. I, I don't even remember how that went. But, no! But yeah. You can't tease yeah. that. Do it. I, I don't remember how, how, how that one went exactly. Oh, this story is done. Forget it. But then the last <laughs> one, the one that killed me because it wasn't a bad casting. It was just her. And you did already hear a little bit of it. Go, Dude, don't! Dude, <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, really, seriously, guys, I like my job. And they're like, do Donna, do Donna, do Donna. And 
And so, of course, I did. I was like, I was like, well, 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 come on into my office. What's all this going on? Look at my wicker chair and my wicker desk and my wicker. <laughs> and they're like, ah. Uh, she had that Disney smile on, but obviously oh. she was not happy. That oh, was strike no. two. That was strike two. Strike all two. All of that was two? <laughs> that was strike two. Oh, yeah. Strike three was... Again, it was slow. It was a weeknight. There was a guy, one of my fellow stock boys. He, you know, he's not supposed to smoke, and he was down there smoking. Everyone, including my friend who was my operations lead, uh, wanted to get rid of him. And I was like, "No, he's fine. He's, you know, he, uh, you know, he's he's no more of a slacker than so and so or so and so. He's fine." And, and so we're down there, we're talking movies and talking special effects and everything. And he, and he said, Hey, did you know, did you know Lysol's flammable? And the backstory in the Lysol was at the far end of the basement, there was a restaurant and they used to put all their, you know, rotting vegetables down in the basement. So on a summer day, it got to be a little ripe. <laughs> so we went spraying the Lysol down there. Yeah. So we had this can of Lysol and I was like, no, really? And he goes, yeah, yeah, here, watch this. So he sprayed a line of Lysol up the side of the wooden desk and then a little pool of Lysol on the top and he fanned it. He goes, and he says, you got to fan it because it, it's really flammable. So he got a little fan it here. And then he took his lit cigarette and he lit the Lysol and sure enough, this nice, lovely, you know, chemical blue flame went woof, and a little poof on the top of the desk and we're like, ooh. And then we blew it out and that was pretty much it. It little, left a little discoloration on the varnish and, and a really terrible stink in the air but that, other than that nothing happened and so then again my immediate uh supervisor my operations lead came down and he goes oh what's that smell and i, I said oh it's probably just the pain he goes no no that's more like a chemical smell and it, and then so again he's a friend of mine we used to hang out outside of work and i said i said well and i told him the story so he was all like maniacally, he goes, oh, this is our good chance to get rid of Brian, blah, 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 blah. And he goes, of oh, course, no. and tells, tells management. So then Donna, Donna calls me in and says, so we hear you, you were involved in an unsafe practice that, you know, could have resulted in thousands, if not millions of dollars worth of property damage. And I was like, well, I, I mean, yes, I see your point, <laughs> but, but. Nothing really happened. It's just like, well, so you have a choice. We can either fire you or you can voluntarily terminate. <laughs> oh, wow. And so being 22 I and having never been fired before, I thought it would be better to voluntarily terminate. And then, of course, I had everyone say, no, now you're not going to be able to collect unemployment. <laughs> so yes, that is the story of how I got voluntarily terminated from and, Disney. And so what did we learn, Steve? <laughs> that you should never net no always no never <laughs> <laughs> never lie, never make lie, fun of your boss's face. <laughs> Lies. Lies. Oh my god. Oh, you, you, you know what part he left out, Todd? What's that? When he introduced this whole story, he said, Yeah, I had gotten fired which was too bad because I later found out I had been shortlisted for a promotion right before oh, that. Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so wow. needless to say, 
if I could send my consciousness back in time, it would be to my birthday, which is before all of that, and not do any of that. <laughs> <laughs> I would think you would have learned because... to never volunteer any information in an interview. <laughs> well, yeah. In an investigation yeah. I mean, interview. That, yeah, but I mean, that literally, I was in a pretty good place at Disney, and, and of course, that fall is when I started uh, to try to finish up my, my first college career at Cal State Fullerton. But of course, I then had to work all these really terrible minimum wage jobs and try to go to school and put rent, you know, and, and pay the rent and everything at the same time. Whereas if I'd been at Disney, stayed at Disney, I A, would have gotten that promotion, probably. Yeah, I wouldn't have had the scratch, scrimp, and save and all these other, like, totally pointless jobs. Didn't they so. also have, like, tuition reimbursement back then, if I remember? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, so well, that's... look, he's not getting his college paid for. <laughs> yeah, well, well, well. <laughs> that was an expensive Ooh. can of Lysol. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> expensive can of Lysol, expensive editorial cartoons, and expensive uh, me making fun of my bosses to their face. Now, the thing is, like, Ernie and Dave, I mean, Bob... You know, our general manager, he never got the Nixon thing. He was like, well, I don't understand that. Yeah, it doesn't really make any sense, but whatever. Go with it. Just go with it. But, like, Ernie, anytime I would see Ernie after that, he goes, he goes, Steve, he did it again. He looked at my display like it was a bug. He just thought that was hilarious. So, and then Dave, every time I'd pass, he'd go, oh, Lord. And Dave actually called me after I got voluntarily terminated and said, hey, do you want to fight this? That was completely, you got railroaded out of here just because, you just because Donna didn't like you after you made fun of her too, her in, front of, in front of every employee that served under her. And I was like, no, I'd have to be so much on my best behavior after this. She just looked for something else. So anyway. And obviously he can't be on his best behavior. So there you go. <laughs> no, exactly. Anyway. The other thing, of course, is uh, I would definitely make sure that in October of 1986, I would re I would remember these numbers: four, nine, thirty-three, thirty-six, thirty-nine, forty-seven. What? The, those are the first numbers of the very first lottery in uh, California. Oh wow! Yeah, I've I've spent way too much time playing the replay game, <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out what do I fix? Because of course, you know, the conversation I had, I had with Kirsten about that. This is way back about. You know, back when I was getting divorced and everything, it's like, oh, if only I'd finished college in 84 when I was supposed to, if only I'd done it. And he was like, yeah, but if you'd done all that, we wouldn't be having this conversation. And I was like, eh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Because I was I was thinking the same thing, man. You know, there are so many replays I'd like to make, but they all involve me not getting stuck in Vegas. So, right. you know, well, there's your problem. problem. I, don't, I don't know any of you. You know, if yeah. I if I do my replay, so I don't know. Yeah. You know, what do you do? I'm, I'm still yeah. not so sure that you're making out that much better, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's that's why I've been playing the replay game. How do I fix what's broken and keep what's great? <laughs> you know, like like knowing you guys. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's so sweet. Well, that was Steve's yeah. half hour. All right, Kirsten, what yeah. did you do? <laughs> well, the first thing is I would go back to when I was 12 years old. And then I would... <laughs> Actually, Steve covered a lot of my stuff. So I did go to Ralph's. I picked up the latest Knights of the Dinner Table. I haven't read it yet, but I did get Ninja, the last Ninja Turtle, the last Ronin, the last the last one, whatever that uh, special Ninja Turtle issue uh, mm-hmm. series that yes. they're doing. But Midnight Sky, it's it's kind of funny because I think Steve has a point that the cool story might have been just the the astronauts returning to Earth and trying to figure out what's going on. But the the truth is, is that when I was watching it, I was much more invested and interested in uh, George Clooney's story on the ground. I didn't really get all that into the the astronauts part of the story. So there was that for me in watching that. Ah, oh, what the heck else? Uh, Steve and I watched Towering Inferno. Wait, wait, the, the 70s Towering Inferno? Yes, we just we just were like, eh, what the hell? Why? We, after Colossus, we were like, let's watch seventies movies, and so then we <laughs> we searched for and found Towering Inferno. We were gonna try uh, like Airport seventy four or something, but there were uh, there was nothing streaming for free. But Towering Inferno was a movie so that. bad it's good. It was actually fun to watch. Totally pointless uh, plotline with Robert Wagner and and his secretary, <laughs> but. <laughs> I mean, just completely pointless. He does nothing. Their story has no consequence to anything going on around it. They're just, they're having, they're having an affair, a a perfectly nice, I mean, neither one of them's married. They're, you know, boss and his secretary having this thing and they get burned up. It's so funny too, because this, uh, this, this office building, apparently every, every department head's office has a bedroom attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was the seventies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wasn't that prior to the uh, the sprinkler mandate on anything above twelve floors? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it's they, they talked about the sprinklers not working. Yeah, because it's supposed to be the 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 uh, the Tucker torpedo of of skyscrapers. It's got all of these innovations that are not part of regulations and stuff, and and it you know it's supposed to make all this. Uh, self-conscious improvement but it it ended up being corners cut and everything but it is funny because watching that movie nowadays most people would be totally confused because they're using elevators they're you know um uh, uh no sprinklers and stuff it's 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 sort of like especially after the mgm fire it's just a totally different world with buildings now yeah totally different so Although in the MGM fire, it was the staircases that were most, most of the people died. Yeah, well, that, yeah, and the fact that the, the, uh, they circulated the smoke. Most people died of smoke inhalation. They didn't even right. burn. Yep. So it was just, it was just insane. But anyway, so yeah, we watched that. That's pretty much how that went. Uh, we had uh, played, a, played a D&D session day oh, after right. Christmas where our characters from a one-shot encountered and attacked our characters in the ongoing campaign oh wow and and, uh, we had to run both characters and the only rule was you can't attack yourself so (laughs) my half-elf sorcerer had to attack anybody but the the warforged barbarian 
And uh, we defeated the one-shot characters pretty well. So that was like a, a two-and-a-half-hour fight. There were so many of us. I think it was only like four combat rounds. But it was, it was definitely intensely detailed and a, a, lot of, a lot of dice rolling and stuff. Well, we did also have the other one-shot, uh, How the Lich Stole Christmas. Yes, we played that on <laughs> all level 18 characters. And when we got to the Lich, we so easily defeated him that uh, Elena had to go and create a whole other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, a second big bad. And it was Cindy Lou. But Cindy Lou was a, a Balor demon devil. And uh, <laughs> that was a much, much more intense fight. Oh, that's great. All right. So, uh, Jeff, what did you do? It's funny because I did several of the same things uh, Kirsten and Steve did. Because uh, I had uh, first on my notes was the Midnight Sky. Uh, I, I agree with them on the uh, the space physics. Uh, the only movie that I think that did space physics the best is probably Apollo 13. And it's one of the few films that they actually filmed using parabolic uh, plane doing parabolic arches to get the the simulated microgravity. That's the only one that's better than any of the other films but uh yeah it's it's very good i'm with kirsten though i was quite fascinated with the the george clooney storyline i kind of felt like the um a lot of the spaceship storyline was just kind of tacked on which i mean into the overall story it is important yeah to steve's point there are a couple of twists in there but for some reason i saw those twists coming like quarter of the way into the film so, oh, wow. I, yeah, um, I, I won't say which twists those are, but uh, the, the, the most glaring one was probably the one that you get the most emotional connection with as far as the Clooney story line goes. But overall, I, I thought it was a very good film. Yes, it's a slow burn. Reminds me a lot of the um, Solaris that I, I, it had a very similar, like slow, yeah. drawn out story to at least to me, it felt it was very similar. At least we know Clooney has a type. He's very, I guess, methodical when he does direction and or or has anything to do with the story. So it definitely he's got a style, I guess, the best way to put it. But another movie I did watch on Netflix that uh, I uh, actually I found uh, quite interesting. And it's it's a a few years old. I want to say it's like uh, 2016 is a movie called Ark on Netflix. A.R.Q. It's a very live die repeat edge of tomorrow style story mm. uh where you have that time loop aspect mm. uh stars uh robbie amell who is Stephen amell's cousin it's this couple who is stuck in this time loop and he's trying to figure out what's going on uh or why first of all why they're in the time loop and then discovers how how and why they are in this time loop and then each loop opens up more and more of the story and you finally discover what's going on and uh i i did like as far as like how it ends because a lot of them they do they tend to wrap those storylines up in a neat little bow this one didn't and i don't want to say specifically why but i'm i'm always impressed when somebody has the gall to end a story open an open Mm. ending where you don't know exactly how it ends it definitely has the the look and feel of kind of a mid-budget movie because it really only takes place in this house, the whole story. But uh, 
it's definitely worth checking out, especially like if you like anything with those kind of time loop style stories. So, so yeah, that was uh, that was my geeky things this week. Although when uh, when Kirsten mentioned Towering Inferno, that did take me back to one of the chapters we had in film school where uh, we talked about those Universal disaster films and how they basically <laughs> kept Universal Studios afloat. In the, into the early 80s because they were really struggling financially like in the 60s and 70s. They were big movies. Those movies brought in box office. It was, you know, you, it, it's funny how you could, how you, you might think otherwise, but I, I guess a lot of people do, maybe because they became cliche towards the end. But those movies were extravaganzas. Everyone's like, oh my God, Steve McQueen and yes. Paul Newman in the same movie. Holy mackerel. You know, they, 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 they loved it. They loved it. Or yeah. I think the, the hallmark may be Poseidon Adventure, which yeah. just had so damn many Oscar winners and Oscar nominees um, in the, in the same movie. It was just, it was just ridiculous. Um, but yeah, they love those movies. Take as many big name stars as you can <laughs> kill a few off as you go and, or, or most of them off as you go. And then put it in some kind of a natural and or man-made disaster. And it, just like Kay said, that it, it was, you know, the pre, you know, predecessor to the modern blockbuster. These were films that people flocked to theaters for. I yeah. mean, they, they were selling out frequently. My parents actually hunted down the closest movie theater that had the sense around effect for Earthquake. It's still a theater... But it's actually part of the of uh, Pacific Christian College, which is right across the street from uh, Cal State Fullerton. But that was, you know, a huge screen, and you did you got those giant woofers just in the back, and it did. It felt like the building was shaking. It was it was pretty nice. <laughs> but the the technology that did spin out of a lot of the experimentation with those disaster movies did improve a lot of cinema technology that we have in the modern day here. Andy, what did you do this week? Well, I was I was a little, a little leery, leery about mentioning this one, but uh, since you guys bring up Towering Inferno, I watched uh, What's Up Doc, which is a much better. <laughs> I love that movie, but I hadn't seen it in years, and it is I I don't know why that doesn't get more buzz. But for the listeners who don't know, tell us about What's Up Doc. It's impossible to describe it. Make it sound good. Um, it's Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill in a comedy. Um, it's it's like the last of the uh, or it's a, a attempt at reviving the screwball comedy, and it does it really well. You're following a bunch of people. There's four different uh, overnight cases that are identical, and they're getting swapped around, all ending in a, a 11 minute incredible chase scene that's hilarious through uh, San Francisco. Streisand and Ryan O'Neill are just incredibly charming. Uh, it's uh, Madeline Kahn's first movie. Uh, a bunch of people that are in uh, Mel Brooks movies are in it. Uh, I think before they're in Mel Brooks movies, actually. And uh, it's just so much fun. So funny. Say, I, I never got the the Streisand popularity. I mean, she's she's not bad in many of the things I've seen her in, but I I I oftentimes find her kind of exhausting in some of the roles that she plays, <laughs> whether it's the nature of the script or her style i i don't know because there are some things i like her like she was in the oh one of the meet the fockers 
films that mm-hmm. she played uh, Ben Stiller's mother. And, uh, you know, I, I found that entertaining. But uh, a lot of the roles she's been in, I just I was kind of meh on. I, I yeah, think her yeah. stage roots are very much on display. You yeah. think? Yeah. I yeah. think that's what it is. I think she I think she is acting for the stage on the screen. That yeah. could be it. I agree. Not not everybody makes that translation well, and I think you might have nailed it there, Todd. Yeah. She's uh when when she's good, she's great. And she's great but, in this one. Yeah. And um it, a lot of the time it depends on the property because she and Ryan O'Neill had been had been teamed up uh, a couple of other times and it just didn't work like I think the main event is one that they're both in. Anyway. Oh, okay. Um, w- weren't she and but, Ryan O'Neill uh, kind of on again, off again, too, for a while, as far as, like, private life? I I don't remember. You'll have to ask TMZ. <laughs> yes, you'll have to ask TMZ, exactly. My biggest disappointment with What's Up, Doc, uh, was that it wasn't a Bugs Bunny movie. I was As a kid, I was very <laughs> sad when I found that out. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But she's... She, She's talked about how, uh, obviously based on the title, that she actually used Bugs Bunny as uh, as the archetype for her character in that movie. Wow. Yeah, that makes sense. I also watched uh, Chadwick Boseman's final film. You can really feel the stage in that one. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an adaption of a play, and, and the dialogue is very, very play-like, but it's, it's really well done. It's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah. Yeah, Denzel Washington got the rights to produce movie versions of all of August Wilson's plays. Oh, that's And I'm very happy about that. Yeah. Especially given that Fences and now this are, you know, just knocking it out of the ballpark. If if he keeps on that streak, it'll be great. August Wilson's one of my one of my favorite playwrights and, yeah. you know, and there are very few of his plays that I could actually ever be in, usually playing the white dick character, but, you know, <laughs> I'm I'm fine with that if I can be in an August Wilson play. You can um, play the manager or the uh, the record producer in this one. Yeah, yeah. White Dick. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm saying. So, as far as actual geeky stuff, I watched a bunch. Yeah, of... Yeah, let's get into that already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, watched... <laughs> I watched a bunch of uh, Venture Brothers. I actually got. I think I'm I'm all the way through the Blue Morpho saga. Which was hilarious. I mean, just went places I did not expect it to go. Which is um, um, a character that I, I guess, is sort of lurking around in the background through a lot of the series, but comes to comes to the head here, and then yeah, it's just it, it it ties up a bunch of venture and the monarch's history, along with the uh, with the uh, rusty venture stuff too. You mean the, the monarch? Yes. Adopt a girlfriend. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, I am nursing a little bit of carpal tunnel syndrome. Um, so ah. uh, I overdid it on the pinball this week. Is that what oh. it's from? I've uh, been playing quite a bit. Uh, and that's because uh, the shock monkeys have been making good on my challenges. Apparently they, they don't like my uh, villainous antics here on the show and decided to completely waylay some of my scores. No, the Guild of Calamitous Intent. You got to follow the Guild of Calamitous Intent's guidelines. <laughs> indeed, indeed. I, I enjoy being the pinball villain. Don't get me wrong, but 
and no one is yeah, surprised really, by that. Yeah, really impressive stuff from Microscope, really impressive stuff. Leon Mitt, both of you laid up scores. Uh, on the medieval table, Leon Mitt laid up a score that took me like two hours to defeat, and that was rough. Oh, you went medieval on his ass, huh? And uh, the Boba Fett table that uh, that Microscope put up, oh my goodness, both of them. It was just beating my head against the wall, and I had a wonderful time doing it, Dylan. I got there. I did it. But boy, was that a boy was that a tough run. Also, uh, I rewatched. Uh, I, I love to watch this every year. White Christmas, the original Irving Berlin uh, movie, and it is the most un-Christmas movie I enjoy watching during the Christmas season. There's, <laughs> Yay! It has so little to do with Christmas. It's, it's. I, I there's no name for a test out there that is the Christmas test that I know, kind of like the Bechtel, kind of like the Bechtel test, um, <laughs> that you you put against movies. And and of course, Die Hard will always be argued in this left and right. You're either pro Die Hard or anti Die Hard as a Christmas movie, but both arguments are valid. And in this one, it's hard to argue that White Christmas is a Christmas movie. Right. It is one of it's there's so little of it in it and it impacts nothing of the story. It's the song. Somebody sings about snow and it snows at the end. That's all the Christmas there really is in this movie. <laughs> Remind me, is that the one where they're trying to save a, a, a hotel? Uh, no, that is Holiday Inn. Uh, oh, and that yeah. has multiple holidays and that is more uh, Christmassy than this one is because they actually focus on the holiday for a moment. Um, but this one, it's, it's kind of the same because yes, they are trying to save the end, but more, more, most importantly, they are trying to save it for the owner, which was their old general back when they were in the army. That's, and so out of, I... so out of deference to him, they are saving it for him. But, but it's, yeah, it's, it's holiday Inn and white Christmas are basically the same movie, except that one takes place over a shorter span of time. <laughs> I always tell people, if you're looking for if you're looking for a really edgy, non-traditional Christmas movie, watch A Lion in Winter. So, oh jeez. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, I though, think... Todd, people forget that Die Hard Two is also a Christmas movie. Fine, fine point. You know what? I will say yes. There is a Christmas test out there now. <laughs> uh, movies with Mikey recently put out a. A Christmas test, basically. He did a whole video on it and then put a bunch of movies to it and then ranks the movies as they are involved. One, how much it involves either uh, a belief or learning a belief in Santa Claus or Jesus, uh, whether or not uh, there is a personal epiphany, whether or not there is family drama. Uh, and, of course, uh, there are check marks as to how much Christmas affects the story itself. And right. it's... It's impressive out there because one of the ones that ranked so low was the Frosty the Snowman Christmas special. Okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> that there is very little Christmas in it, and it ranked super low. It's... I've finally gotten up to the good episodes of The Librarians. I saw the last Librarian movie, which was much, much better than the other two. Um, and then the series starts into it, and then uh, a couple episodes in is a Christmas episode. Where Bruce Campbell plays Santa Claus. So, oh right, that's... I forgot about that one. <laughs> yeah, the, but that, both the movies and that series took a little while to find their footing. But when they did, it it kind of became very charming, at least in my personal opinion. Well, the third movie is does I mean it's head and shoulders above the first two. It's it's weird right. how much better. It's, Bruce Campbell is, is Santa is my new Santa. That's that's it. There's my vision of Santa. <laughs> <is Bruce Campbell. laughs> 
Uh, anything else you want to bring up this week before we go on, guys? Uh, yes, I did manage to make it through the season without hearing very much, if any, Christmas music. So I count that as a win. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, I think. Um, and and right. I didn't have to hear, do they know it's Christmas at all this year? I could sing it to you now. Uh, no, thank <laughs> God it's them instead of you. The only... <laughs> <laughs> the only Christmas movie music I actually really heard was um, my cousins put together a Christmas list, and they're like big. They're band musicians. They're they they have real jobs, but they've always had their hand in band music. So uh, it was sort of an alternate Christmas. I mean, there are a few classics in there, but I survived Whamageddon, and then I heard a lot of interesting alternate versions of Christmas songs. But that I missed Whamageddon this year myself. No yeah. whamma for me. I, I was, I was killed multiple times. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Steve? You could have just turned it off, Steve. You could have just turned it off. Oh, oh, the game. I, I got you. The game. Okay. If you've heard it, you've, yeah. that doesn't matter. You've, you've heard it. You can't no, turn I it off. I bet he could have just turned that radio off. Yeah. Like not started it to begin with? I thought my ex-wife, my actual ex-wife, had both radios on timers. So when I got up at three in the morning to, you know, hit the restroom, that's when it came on. And I was like, yeah. Sneak and then I heard it like, yeah. And I heard it like three or four more times over the course of the time I was cat sitting. So, wow. All right, yeah. gentlemen, we got to get through some news before we talk about Wonder Woman. So let's get into some news you don't give a shit about. Such a joy. Such a joy. Oh, my word. Uh, news you don't give a shit about. KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, uh, made a video game console that will also keep your chicken fingers crispy. I'm glad you clarified it was KFC, Kentucky Fried Chicken, because I was I didn't know. I felt I had to, mainly because you were here. So oh, thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> Making good on an earlier viral tease in June that playfully hinted at the console, the restaurant giant has spent the intervening months on the project. Uh, made by KFC and Cooler Master, the KF console is essentially a modern gaming PC with a chicken gimmick. The system has a, quote, chicken chamber, described on the website as, quote, utilizing the system's natural heat and airflow system so you can now focus on your gameplay and enjoy hot, crispy chicken between rounds, unquote. For fuck's sake. <laughs> but the system doesn't shirk when it comes to specs. The KFC console boasts an Intel Nuke 9 Extreme Computing Core, ray tracing, 4K output at 240 frames per second, a first-of-its-kind hot-swappable GPU slot to assure future upgrades, VR capability, and a pair of Seagate Barracuda 1TB solid-state drives. It comes right out of the box with everything you need to get started, and it's packaged in a custom cooler NC100 chases. Uh, Ooh, so far, KFC, it's thank you. Uh, so far, KFC hasn't said whether the console will be available for sale or if it's simply marketing. Uh, but it has it where it counts under the hood. So the KF so console, some, gentlemen. Somebody's writing games for KFC. So somebody's this, this writing romantic comedies game. for KFC. <laughs> yeah, that one yes, that was on uh, <laughs> TV. <laughs> Mario Lopez is the colonel. I, I saw that, and I'm like, this can't be real. And it was. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they did a good job with the multiple kernel thing. They're, they, their marketing guys are on top of it, and this, this is clearly another sign of it. Yeah. It's the best thing wish... since Wendy's did an RPG. Because they're chicken. Go... <laughs> I was going to say, I wish they'd just go back to making quality chicken again instead of spending all that money on marketing. <laughs> but who am I to complain, right? <laughs> Indeed. To each of their own chicken. It takes a tough man, Jeff. To make a tender chicken? Yes. News you don't give a shit about. MGM, one of the oldest movie studios in Hollywood, is exploring options to sell its massive library of content. The move comes amid a wave of increased demand for streaming content amid COVID-19 pandemic in 2020. As uncertainty over the future of theatrical distribution still reigns, uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that the studio has reached out to Morgan Stanley and Lion Tree LLC to launch a formal sale process to find a suitor for its assets, which are reportedly valued at about $5.5 billion at the moment. This isn't the first time in recent years that MGM has explored some version of a sale, but it does seem to be a serious effort, and the studio is seeking interest from parties beyond Hollywood's traditional players, unquote, as it seeks to leverage a massive library that includes James Bond franchise, the Rocky films, and current series like The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, the studio also owns Epix, the TV channel streaming platform, home to original series like Pennyworth. Uh, MGM board chairman Kevin Ulrich had reportedly hoped that the release of the much-anticipated 25th Bond film, No Time to Die, would boost sale prospects for the studio. But the pandemic has now pushed that release date back more than once, and now shareholders are apparently making their move without that film's release. It remains to be seen if a buyer will emerge, but if one does, the right party could land a powerful new block of movies and shows to launch a fresh volley to the streaming wars. Uh, that may also mean that at some point, MGM, as we know it now, may no longer exist. Yeah. Didn't they sell off a lot of the catalog during their bankruptcy, like, 30 yeah. years ago? Yeah, I was going to say Warner Brothers bought up almost everything back in the late 70s, early 80s, which is why Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind are now Warner Brothers joints. Mm. Well, now, now here's everybody else's chance. <laughs> yeah. But really, realistically, who's going to buy this? Disney, if somebody wasn't going to buy it. All the stories yeah. that I saw or, on this just on the um, James Bond stuff. Yeah. That, that's obviously the, the golden gun, if you will. Oh, <laughs> That is a hell of a thing to own. Yeah. Right. Of course, if someone else buys it, who knows what they'll do with it. Right. That's true. I think the Broccoli's still have a... Like, they'd still be the producers. Eon still basically owns it. It's the distribution yeah. uh, that, that ah. would be up for grabs. The exclusive distribution rights. News you don't give a shit about... Disneyland announced that one of its oldest dark rides, Snow White's Scary Adventures, is getting upgraded and renamed to Snow White's Enchanted Wish. While certain elements of the ride will remain the same, the reimagined attraction has a more modern audio and visual touches, such as LED black lighting, laser projection, the new animation system. Even the smell of the ride is getting an upgrade, as guests will smell delicious apple pie that Doc has apparently baked. Uh, the biggest change, however, is the ride will no longer focus on the scary aspects of Snow White's journey and will be more about her friendship with the dwarves and her happily ever and after ending. Uh, guests will be able to experience the less scary version of the ride firsthand when Disneyland reopens. They're that far along with it. Hmm. Yeah. 
I, I, under, I understand that the need for the change in these rides and so on. Frankly, I'm kind of surprised it took this long for them to right. do a change on this ride. I, I can't even picture the ride. Uh, you don't have to. You can go on YouTube and ride it virtually. Um, sure. <laughs> it's probably my oldest experience with a quote-unquote haunted house, as mild as it is. Uh, but it scared the crap out of me as a little kid. Uh, so I do have a... A, a, a certain love for this ride. And I'm always sad when, cause this is one of the original rides sits around the same time as basically Mr. Toad's wild ride. And I'm glad that yeah. Disneyland has left yeah. that alone. And I hope they never touch that one. Let us keep <laughs> that one at least please. But it is really sad to see this one, this piece of the history change. And I'm so glad that YouTube does exist for the reason <laughs> of documenting the, the rides as they've gone away. Yeah. Now, I was just reading this week about that, and apparently the scarier elements were added in later because the mm-hmm. original opening of the ride did not have the scary elements. So I, I uh, would personally love to see the original version of the ride before they added in the scary elements to compare and contrast the two. See, it's my understanding that the scary elements were there, and they just had to add the word scary so it warned people away from it. But I, you're right. They did do a refurbishment of it in, I think, the early 80s, late 70s. That sounds yeah. about right. What, one um, of the things that they did was uh, people kept stealing the apple. <laughs> so yes. They, so they put in a holographic apple. <laughs> that the witch is holding? Yes. Yeah. As far as the scary elements, uh, it's the closest thing to a haunted house after the haunted mansion that they have. Andy, that's from the moment that it begins, it is a work of terror from beginning to end. Oh, wow. Yeah, they they do seem to be taking out a lot of the scarier elements on some of these, these older rides. And frankly, it is kind of a weird dichotomy, isn't it? Yeah. Sure, Snow White has some scary elements with the witch, but that is not the ex- full extent of that movie. It's it's, right. it's a small percentage, but that's what they focused on with this for a while. Right, that movie that movie is about fake necrophilia. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Celebrate it. I've I've that's, always that's been in the tr- ride they need. <laughs> <laughs> I think I always... you can. I think you can get that just a few blocks down the street, Kay. Uh, <laughs> not under the Disney banner. They'll sue oh, you. No, definitely not. Definitely not. I've always been intrigued by these adult like ride designers just wanting to terrify the crap out of small children. And like, I mean, I mean, that goes back to like the original terror tales, you know, the, the fables. And I just, I just, I've never understood that as other than as a, a form of trying to encourage good behavior. But when you get into rides like this, it seems like it's more just to terrify the kids rather than to teach them any kind of lesson. I, That's I don't know. That's just all modern coddling, Jeff. Kids were made yep. of sturdy, yep. stronger stuff back <clears throat> yep. then. And they walked uh, uphill in the snow both ways. <laughs> I, I think that it used to be that kids were given a little more credit. One, a lot of kids enjoyed being scared. They like scary stuff. Oh. And two, people were like, eh, they'll get over it. Todd's joking, but I kind of think that it's it's kind of true. It's just like people, you know, because it, it's really funny how everybody talks about the whole, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have phones and we went out and played all day and got dirty and our parents didn't know where we were until we came home. 
But then they turn around and they're like, oh, my goodness, Snow White was so scary. How did children take it? I don't understand. And it's just like, <laughs> yeah. what the Wait, fuck are you talking about? It's the same thing, really. Is that, is that voice Big's former manager? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's just it's just like, I mean, because I remember the 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 Snow White ride when I was a kid and there were things that scared me, but. At the same time, uh, it wasn't like it wasn't like I was scarred or anything. Jeez, I mean, I was more scarred by f the fact that Space Mountain was actually a, a mild roller coaster. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm right with you on that, Kay. Yeah, yeah. you know. So I, I just the the it, it's really funny how people act like that, get that way. But man, it's sort of like have you seen? The old, early 20th century pictures of kids' Halloween costumes. Oh, and yes. Outright <laughs> fucking creepy that shit gets. Yeah. You know? Yeah, each one is the stuff of nightmares. Yes. And it's, you know, and it's so funny because people will go, oh, yeah, Frankenstein movie. That ain't scary. I don't know what that's all about. But, you know, did... Actually, there, there, there was plenty of shit around that was just scary as hell. There, there, there's more than one child movie that people. Well, I mean, let's let's go on to the other end of the spectrum with stuff like Old Yeller. How many kids, boy, and their dog <laughs> stories involved the fucking dog dying at some point? It seemed like oh, every it's... one of these stories is chi children. You have to learn about death. That's honestly the yep. point of pets in the first place, really. It's <laughs> one of the reasons to have pets is to introduce children to the concept of death. I, I, I honestly don't think that's why most people get a pet. Wow. <laughs> wow. That Boy, does, that statement I mean, sure, sure does explain Andy a lot. <laughs> it's, it's just, it is, yeah, I'm a parent. I, I know this is where children find out about death is when their pet dies. Well, and also, Kay, I, as to the point of you talking about films trying to teach children about death and so forth, that's okay in the sense is if you have active parenting where, you know, there is a discussion post the film about what that means with the child rather than just a passive parent who lets their kids see that and then never addresses any of the topics in there, whereas I think that maybe is the difference between the older style of introducing terror to or, or scary things to younger children versus the way it's presented now Le less of that discussion i guess that makes sense jeff because uh i was allowed to watch benny hill without discussion and that messed me up <laughs> <laughs> that among other things are what explains how you are today <laughs> no I, I think it was those 80s movies where 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 they were all were pro stalking uh, and also, I think in the 80s movies where all the villains were named Todd, that had to have done something to me as well. <laughs> you know, you're uh, talking about scary, scary dark rides. Mr. Toad's Wild Ride did me in. That Really? Yeah. You die oh, at yeah. the end and go to hell. Yeah, that's what well, I'm saying. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Yeah, that movie fucked me up as a 10-year-old. 10-year-old. <laughs> when I go on a Disney ride... I have to think about the fact that I'm viewing it through the eyes of an adult when I go on those rides because my first experience with Disneyland, I was already in my 40s. So I, I, I have to, yeah. to stop I would, and think would, about how a child would perceive those rides. 
I, I definitely went to Disneyland for the first time as an adult, too. Well, we didn't have any Disneyland, Disney World where I was growing up. You know, we had we had the Riverside Park, which is now a Six Flags. Actually, I was there, but I don't remember it. My mother saw a child killed on the teacups. And so we didn't go to a lot of uh, amusement parks when I was a kid. Yeah, we only had Joyland there. and Worlds of Fun in my area. And, and I there was only one quote-unquote scary ride in uh, Joyland, and that was the the Wacky Shack, but everything else was <laughs> fairly tame. Yeah, uh, I wish in, I could in my neighborhood, the, the Wacky Shack was a, a bunch of uh, plywood stacked up against some trees and a bunch of Playboys in the uh, side. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have experienced the Wacky Shack, either version. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, I don't know if it's still on YouTube, but there used to be a video ride-through of the original Joyland Wacky Shack, and with all God. the darkness and the black light and everything. Uh, you know, as a kid, it was kind of trippy. As an, uh, you know, as an adult, I would watch that and go, "Eh, it wasn't that scary." I just watched the uh, Snow White ride, and uh, yeah, there's some scary stuff in there. <laughs> Wait, you just watch it right now? <laughs> Andy multitasks. I guess I so. My cousin had a full-on freakout uh, in line for the uh, Monsanto voyage to inner space when he saw the people getting in the pods, oh, you know, the yes. live action, the live people, and then get, they got small going through the mighty microscope, and he's like, I don't want to get small, and he flipped <laughs> out. That was a great <laughs> effect. It was awesome, yeah. That whole ride was pretty damn cool. That's, then, that's course, one I never got to ride, and I'm sad for it. Oh, yeah. it was a great makeout ride. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> at okay. least it got replaced with Star Tours. So, you know, that's if it had to be replaced with something, at least it was something cool that replaced it. Yeah. Was it though? Was it though? You don't like Star <laughs> Tours? No. Ah. When's the last time you wrote it? Uh, I wrote it when it first came out. Okay, because it's much different now. I mean, I've written it a few times since then. Don't get me wrong, but. I, I don't know. I my my limits for the motion simulator ride have have reached their conclusion, and that conclusion is I don't like it. Well, they've mixed <laughs> in all of the you know the original trilogy as well as the sequel trilogy stuff, so it's it's all randomized now, which makes it the, in, the video more interesting. is not the problem. Trust me, I, I was fine with the video. It's Star Wars. That's great, mm-hmm. but it's it's still a a two D movie and you're in a machine that goes up and down and left and right to try to follow the movie. And it has, at the time, a a level of immersion. But as you got used to riding these rides over and over again over time, the immersion just goes away. And I'm just very aware that I'm in a very bumpy chair watching a movie. Oh, because it's 3D now. (laughs) You wear the 3D glasses on the ride. That probably helps some. Yes. But it's it's, kind of along the same lines of, yeah, the new version of the King Kong experience at Universal is okay, but it's nowhere near as good as having the animatronic yeah. one way back when. Well, yes, yeah. I agree with you on that one. I, don't get me wrong, I'm, simulators are getting much better, but even when I'm doing Soren, I'm still very aware that I'm in a very bumpy chair watching a movie. <laughs> really? Oh, I, Soren gets me. Um, I am the the Joyland Wacky Shack Wacky Shack Dark Ride is on here. Yeah, and without the sound, it's mostly black screen. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> it's 
In other words, That's, they want hundred yeah. percent reproduction. I appreciate that. That's good. <laughs> yeah. The Voyage Through Inner Space is has a YouTube ride through thing too, which is pretty good considering that was you yeah. know, pre video camera. Wow, yeah, that's I love what yeah. If you got anything pre eighty five, I'm impressed with you. I I had yeah. heard Steve, and I don't know if if anybody can address this. I had heard that there were times in the the first twenty years of Disneyland that people were able to sneak on like little eight millimeter film cameras with a, a decent speed oh, yeah. film and and film some of those rides surreptitiously. Yeah, that's how they got. That's how they got the voyage to inner space. You can tell it's all like eight millimeter and super eight film. Okay. Yeah. Jesus, how could you be surprised, Jeff? I mean, we had that one schmuck go through and record the fucking experience <laughs> that time. <laughs> well, but I mean, back then it's it wasn't that easy to sneak a, a an eight millimeter camera on there. They're, even the the more compact ones were still pretty good size. They probably just said don't use that and he's like oh no i just you know it's right here in my bag and then as soon no, as they took off actually they whipped it out. actually in in the years prior to video cameras they they really just didn't care oh okay. you know, as long as as long as you didn't use a flash or you know like a yeah. like a a light they were there you, you know, do whatever you want to i, I, I remember a- somebody telling me like especially like the early 80s when the parks were struggling, a lot of the uh, cast members were just like, just don't get caught by one of my managers. And I, and otherwise they didn't seem to care. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense in the eighties. Cause they were kind of, cause they, they were kind of trying to push that stuff all the way through the nineties too. No, no filming of anything on this ride. Like we want this experience to be proprietary. And they, I think at the beginning of YouTube, they were doing it until they realized that, wow, people, People get more, much more interest after seeing the ride virtually and want to come ride it for real. So I think they had a yeah. 180 on that. Yeah, that weird, whole how, weird how that works, huh? It's stupid. It's stupid yeah. because it is free advertising. What's what's wrong with you fucking people? Yeah. The and number was, of people I, it, who are going to watch it on video on YouTube and go, well, now I don't have to do it is infinitesimal compared to the number of people who watch it and be like, oh, shit, I want to try that. I think we talked about this before, but um, one of the lessons learned uh, by conventions this year was that even if you can do live streaming from the event or something like that, people still want to be in the room where it happens. They still want to be live in Hall H. Absolutely. So even if you, even if you did do a, uh, a live stream from Comic-Con during Hall H, you would still have people clamoring to get tickets to go to Comic-Con. In New York Con and you know LA Con and everything. Yeah, because otherwise it's just a bumpy chair with a video screen in front of you. Oh wait, never mind. <laughs> in Ludmilla Sunrise news, oh um, yeah, uh, <laughs> McDonald's in China are offering a new burger filled with spam and crumbled Oreo cookies. It's savory and sweet. I I I, I can see it working. It's so crazy, it happen. just might work. Yeah. <laughs> the burger will have a limited run of 400,000 Spam Oreo sandwiches, and I have no more to say on the subject. Well, I hope they go quick so they're not like a limited run that, you know, of, of Spam Oreo sandwiches that are three or four months old. Every now and then, McDonald's, in, in, usually in China or Japan, they, they take an adventure. They take an adventurous yeah. step. And some Weren't of them I've the been one? very jealous of. 
Wasn't wasn't it China or Japan where they had the black burger that made you poop black? Yes, yes, that was a yeah. Halloween burger. Yeah, yeah, I would I would experience that. It was it was the bun that was black, and it, uh, it was yeah. the goal. It just sort of happened that way. <laughs> that was that was I the mean, bonus. The way Andy's putting it. It's like eat this burger and poop black. Get it now while it lasts. Well, it does sound <laughs> Japanese. <laughs> no, the, the the black dye is really really dark green. So if anything you eat that's black or drink that's black, you poop green. Gross. Yeah, <laughs> it is now. very gross. <laughs> I am keeping that pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that deserves to be in there. Yeah, that was beautiful. I remember an angry Whopper once, and that's all I will say. Oh, I, I've dated one of those before. <laughs> you mean angry just Whopper. one, Todd? <laughs> angry Whopper is my Tommy Lee cover band. <laughs> I accept it. I accept it. Well, normally we'd go into Week in Geek, but uh, we don't have any time if we're going to discuss Wonder Woman 84. So this is the moment, my friends, where... If you have not seen Wonder Woman 84, uh, it, it is your time to stop the show, uh, watch Wonder Woman, and join us once you have seen that film. Uh, so from here on in, spoilers, you have been warned. So here it is, well, gentlemen. The uh, Before they run away, warn them that there's a post-credit scene. Yeah, but it happens so fast that if you missed it, it's your fault. Yeah, it's, right? it's a superhero <laughs> film. Of course there's going to be a stinger. It's more of an early credit scene. Yeah, at yeah. this point, if you miss an, a mid-credit scene or after-credit scene in a superhero movie, you did not get what you deserved, if you follow my meaning. Or you've got to pee really bad. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Excuses. And, and honestly, if you're ever unsure if there is one, there's a great website called mediastinger.com. Go on there, and it'll tell you if there's a... Mid-credit scene, post-credit scene, etc. It's it's a really good tool for any movie that's outside of the superhero genre. That's great, Jeff. Thanks for bringing that one up. That's cool. All right, here we go, gentlemen. Uh, we'll, we'll have a discussion, but we also received an email that wanted us to address certain points, so we'll finish off with that. But in the meantime, what did you think of WW84? Well, I bet <laughs> those, uh, those bastards will let Steve rent the movie theater now. <laughs> oh, that's back open again. Did is after Christmas yeah, is over, they reopened that <laughs> ability to book out a whole theater again. Rat bastards! They told me not till January sixth. Grumble. All right, gentlemen, who wants to start? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I mean, it it wasn't as bad as some people are saying, but it's not great. It's not. It, it it's definitely a huge drop down from the first movie. Yeah. It had interspersed moments of fun, but even the stuff that was done so well in that first one, like, I don't know, superhero action scenes, were just not as good in this one. There was It was way too long for what it was. There was a lot of chaff that could have been cut out. It just, uh, it just dragged. It, it, it yeah. feels like there was a lot of cooks involved and some cooks that from the higher-ups that probably shouldn't have been. Patty Jenkins has already said she's fought the studio to keep certain things in the film so it does seem like she had more battles to fight with this one as far as the content of the film whether that means 
keeping things in, taking things out, or adding stuff in that she didn't want. We we don't really know at this point, but uh, were they yeah. afraid they were going to lose uh, Maxwell Lord as a character that they had, they had to put him in a movie so they keep the rights to him or something? Because no, no, I mean, what was the point? That's vaguely Maxwell Lord, but not much, right? I, it seemed to me like they wanted to do more of a Trump thing and got scared. Yeah, that was my problem. Is there was way too much. They were working way too hard to make their Trump commentary. I mean, I think there's plenty you can say and plenty you can do. And Jesus Christ, I think they they worked way too hard on it. The whole truth thing. It it's you know, and they start off with Diana, little little nine year old Diana. Uh, there are different versions of the truth from different people's eyes. And it's like, wow, if you're attacking misinformation and stuff, you that's a weird way to go about it. <laughs> yeah. Before the movie was released, everyone kept talking about that Maxwell Lord was kind of their Trump take. And I was like, barely. He, he, they put Pat, Pedro Pascal in sort of a blondish wig, but it's not really. And yeah, the Trump connection is tenuous at best a friend of mine put it really really well she said it's like iron man 2 it's a misstep it's deeply flawed but it's not going to stop me from seeing another wonder woman movie it's apparently already in the works because actually the movie did make uh so far as covid times did make a lot of money in the theaters where you could go see it yeah Yeah. uh, 84 worldwide yeah wonder woman 3 got fast track to me, the movie was really sloppy, and, and like you were saying, it seems like there were just way too many cooks, and all the reports seem to indicate the same thing. They did, they did do a lot of reshoots. They did some market things, and they weren't happy with those, and so they reshot some more stuff. And To me, the, the weirdest thing was the whole Steve Trevor thing, uh, <laughs> that he comes back in another guy's body, <laughs> What's the point of that if he's going to eventually have to go away anyway? Can't hijack a guy's body forever. That's weird, right? Hijacking well, a make guy's that a... body is a little fucking weird. The fact that Diana was kind of okay with that made things a little weird. Yeah, mm-hmm. that whole that whole plot point just seemed pointless to me. And yeah, and it really, <laughs> it really is like, what? Where's the moral high ground here that you're? that you want to keep Steve around, but meanwhile, this other guy's life is completely hijacked. Right. It was, it's, it's a strange moral place to be in. And I don't understand why it was even a thing. Just bring him back. And then he has to go away at the end. Yeah. Right. I would have loved, I would have loved at the end of the movie when she meets the guy, if the guy said, well, nice meeting you. I got to go see my girlfriend who's mad at me for some reason. I don't even understand. Why. <laughs> right. <laughs> She's got Amazon stank on him. <laughs> Amazon I'm, stank on the down low. Hang low. I'm, I'm, I'm always curious when you do a film sequel that's set, you know, in this case, 66 years after the events of the first film. But when you already have a character that's established in two prior films and then you have to sandwich this one in between the events of, that you've seen the character in her first solo film and everything that you've seen in these team-up films how you address the character's evolution when 
you're barely ahead of the events of the first solo film. I mean, it's it did seem like they were constricted by the fact that, you know, okay, yeah. she says in Batman v Superman <laughs> that she's been kind of hiding for from the public eye for all these years, which they kind of addressed in 84, but then again, she's out and saving people surreptitiously. Yeah. I, well, also, saving people, she's in costume. I mean, the whole 84 thing was kind of pointless. It was like, let's do an, an 84 nostalgia thing. And the only yeah. real reason yeah. to do it out of time is to explain why Superman or Batman is not stopping Maxwell Lord. But otherwise, right. there's really no point to any of it. Well, there's also the problem of when do superheroes appear in this particular timeline? Yes. Because, I mean, that's a that nationwide weird event. Do people just forget about that? Or, or they must forget well, about it. Otherwise, it would be something you would talk about. It would be, they would be this world's 9-11. Or by the yeah. time that you get to the events of Batman v Superman or Justice League, that there aren't people that have said, you know, all these interesting, weird unconfirmed reports of a woman in a red and blue costume saving people and you know taking on all these crazy occurrences in wait history. a second yeah. wait a second jeff are you telling me that they haven't thoughtfully planned this all out from the beginning is that what you're trying to tell me <laughs> well i mean I, this, I, this bob chipman addresses that too he's like you, you know you have this this established universe but then you're not tying the things together and you're right. not tying them together as well as, say, the MCU does. I mean, MCU, they have a basic blueprint for everything, and then they flesh it out as they go. Whereas it seems like, and I hate to say it because as a DC fan, I really want these films to succeed, but it seems like they have no fucking clue what they want to do with the overall universe. And then well, they don't. The bottom line is they don't. They don't have a Kevin Feige. About Feige. No. Feige. They don't have a Kevin Feige. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> they tried to do it with uh jeff johns and john berg but then when justice league died they were like mm, we'll blame those guys and fire them yeah, yeah. <laughs> well i mean there's a lot of people complaining about it what are the what are the things you liked about it i really thought Kristen wig held her own the performances are are great they're everyone's doing the best they can with the material they've got to work with yes yeah uh, and I mean that—that's from Gal Gadot and Chris Pine to Kristen Wiig and Pedro Pascal. Everyone's doing the best they can with the, yeah. With and the, I mean, but Pedro I, Pascal's characterization of that particular version of Maxwell Lord—I don't know that you can do it any other way than the over-the-top way that he performed that character. The yeah, way right. that character's written, you—you you have to go where he's just this comic salesman that is trying con the world if you will and then gets a hold of ridiculous powers and then continues on that arc as you give him more and more power mm. all right let's talk let's talk about that that wish wish master arc for a little bit um <laughs> uh, there were moments that I, at first i was enjoying it in fact i looking back i was like i wish the rest of the movie was just watching pedro pascal do a Wishmaster movie mm. uh, yeah. because when he went to uh to that oil baron and he made that wish in Cairo that this land is ours and don't keep the heathens out. And that wall popped up. I'm like, yes, give me a whole movie of this. Right. Yeah. And in fact, I thought they were going to establish Bialya and the, the uh, whatever yeah. the DC is there. 
But as it went through the whole aspect to the end where you have to renounce your wish for this to work, it doesn't work. One, uh, what what a weird theme for a movie. Uh, don't aspire to things. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> kind of a, that's kind of a weird um, takeaway. But the other one is for this to have worked, everyone has to renounce their wish. And, and you can't tell me that everybody renounced their wish and that the whole world yeah. did that. And two, and right, what about the people that didn't wish for selfish things? What about the people that wished for world peace? It's cured of cancer. Yes. I was going to say that anybody wishing for world peace, it was clear by the way the movie went that those wishes were failed. But, uh, exactly. uh, but yeah, it breaks. Like right subtle things, like Kay said, people wishing for a cure to cancer. I could see that. But I think yeah, the or, point they were trying to make is that pretty much all wishes are selfish, in you know, even if they have somewhat magnanimous overtones. I, I don't know. I that's just a guess. And right. right in the core of this, you've got you've got the you know Kristen Wiig's cheetah character. I don't see her renouncing that. There, that was the whole point of it. She wasn't right sure. till the end. She wasn't renouncing. What kills me is Barbara Minerva in the comics actually has a really interesting backstory of how she became the cheetah, which is completely gone in this movie. Yeah. Uh, in this movie, there's actually no reason for her to start looking like a cat person. Right, except that, yeah, all Zero. of a sudden Rum Tub, all of a sudden Rum Tub Tugger was there. Yeah, I know. It's the throwaway later. line, I want to be an apex predator, and I guess this is where they go. I, I, yeah. I yeah. just so I why didn't figure that out. Yeah. Congratulations, right, yeah. you are Rumple Teaser. Yeah. <laughs> with, with or without the asses. I didn't, I didn't really look closely yeah. enough. Here's uh, here's your music. Uh, we start rehearsal in uh, two weeks. <laughs> the other point about Cheetah to diverge from the wish thing is I'm sick of the I'm sick of the whole. Well, it's a sequel. We need two villains. Right. It's like the, the, the sequel number, the, the movie title number is how many villains, you know, Wonder Woman <laughs> two will have two villains. Wonder Woman three will have three villains, you know, and it's just it's irritating as shit because. I think they could have they would have had a much better time doing either the Wishmaster movie or the Cheetah movie and doing both was just the typical it's it's you can see them mashing the two together and it not really working. I think yes, right. Wig could have done an interesting Cheetah movie. I think she needed a better script. I really wish Jenkins or whomever did not go with the socially awkward you know although that's a that's an 80s trope the the yep, socially yep. awkward you know the hottie who's dressed up to look awkward then be mysteriously becomes a hottie oh my god you right. know they could have done a better job of, of making her transform and become the cheetah and be some kind of of yeah, opposition they, if that had been the case cheetah is not a world wrecking superhero you could actually do this modern time where it's right. diana's problem and she needs to f deal with it and you don't have to worry about doing 1984 or whatever and uh, they threw too much in the pot yeah uh, yeah i thought yeah. that was an interesting choice with the the Kristen wig makeup that they all they did to try to make her look the quote-unquote ugly duckling was mess up her hair a little bit and put the glasses on her i'm like 
they could have gone pre-transformation makeup effects, you know, try to, mm-hmm. I don't know, tone her down well, a little bit or make her a little more homely. Or I, I don't know I think what Biggs, they were going for with that. No, I think Biggs is right. I think it's a straight out homage to the 80s movies where that's exactly what they did. The, the hot actress wears glasses and dresses a little frumpy and then suddenly transforms into beautiful with, you know, taking off the glasses and taking her hair out of the uh, ponytail or bun or whatever. Yeah, but if you're going to make make an homage to a cliche, either go over the top or don't do it at all because it's yeah, not an homage, right. it's just you're doing the cliche. Yeah, <laughs> if you're going to call something out, just what Todd said, absolutely. In the comics, which are set in modern day, they gave Barbara Minerva, it, it basically is a, it's a Faustian pact that she makes with this uh, African god. She's in a wheelchair and wants her legs back and wants she, you know, used to be a track star or something like that. But meanwhile, she's also an archaeologist. That's how Diana knows her is they have a connection to a- ancient archaeology and all this type of thing. They kind of set that up in this movie, but then they, yeah, they turned it into an 80s cliche movie. <laughs> something that just occurred to me and I'm like, I, I don't know why they chose to go that way is, you know, they... They spent a lot of time setting up in in the first film that she's part god and she's the quote god killer. Yet when she sees the the ring that was originally around the crystal, and then she sees it's the language of the gods where she throws it down and is showing fear. And I'm like, wait a minute, didn't we just establish that she is strong enough and literally fought and defeated one of the old gods? Yet now she's afraid of the language that's on there. I just, I, why well, would you go that route? Well, she may be afraid of the implications. Yeah, I, 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 I think that she was afraid for herself as much as like, oh my God, this is, this is the worst is case. Yeah. This is about as bad as it gets. I didn't really well, see her as scared. Although by then her powers were already beginning to, uh, she was experiencing the exchange in, in, in ability. So. That's true. I want to say that, too. I actually loved the little stunt with the invisible plane. I thought yes. that. <laughs> and um, I also liked her drawing on Steve's comments to start flying. Mm-hmm. I really I kind of like that, too. Almost like even after all this time, Diana is still experiencing the scope of her powers. Because I don't, yeah. I don't have a DC Superman fetish. I can totally sit back and be totally cool with Wonder Woman slowly emerging as the most powerful hero in the DC universe. I don't have an editorial, you know, Superman must be the apex. And it, <laughs> it would be really cool to see her over time begin to discover there's more and more and more she can do. So that right. I actually thought was kind of cool. I actually kind of enjoyed that. She's somewhat isolated from her people. You know, she has no choice but to slowly discover those powers on her own. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree with you there. Yeah, and again, yeah. in the in the comics, there there's some fun, subtle stuff that they do depending on the project. In The New Frontier, Darwin Cook made a point of drawing Diana taller than Superman. <laughs> 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 fun, fun stuff like that, and and yeah, for a while she was the god of war. 
uh, Ares was out of the picture in the comics for a while. So she was full-blown God of War for about a year. Hmm. So, so. so Jeff, yes. as, as far as the flying goes, what is, I mean, he's a pilot. He's a, how, how believable is it that he, that Steve Trevor could learn how to fly a jet? Jesus. Uh, that, you know, that, I have to admit, when he sits in that cockpit and immediately figures out how to activate a modern jet based on 1918 pilot knowledge, <laughs> I, that did, for me, take me out of the film for a little bit. Because there's there's no way a modern mm-hmm. cockpits and, and even starting the jet engines on a modern jet or even modern for 1984, there's no way he would have picked it up and figured that out that that quickly, let alone be able to fly that jet right yeah. away. First of all, that jet has to warm up. You don't just pop on the yes. engines and go. And second of all, flying a jet is actually aerodynamically different uh, from a prop plane because the propeller in the front and the jet exhaust in the back and what little I know I understand that that actually changes the way you you operate the thing yes well I mean uh, even just the controls I mean I mean the controls for a 1918 plane he pulls back in a handle to to add the thrust I don't think that was the thing on a 1918 plane I think that was foot pedals wasn't it well I mean you did yeah see him adjust the the thrust levers occasionally but as it got more into the scene when he would pull back on the you know on the the control stick and then you saw the thrust increase it, it was it was simply poor cutaway that they just cut away to that but yeah just i don't care how wonderful a pilot you are or how intuitive a pilot you are you're not going to be able to be just dropped in to a modern aircraft and immediately know how to turn it on get things going and then get that plane into the air it's just well, it's not believable we can all be happy that they picked a jet that had a large enough fuel tank to get them all the way to egypt that right. too yeah. <laughs> that's and right it's fueled and ready to go right uh, and they had time for a side quest to fly through the fireworks and right. make it back in time for the next scene. <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah. You know, and, and Jeff will tell you, flying through f- uh, fireworks in a jet with air in- jet air intakes is not the least bit dangerous or hazardous to the engines. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, you know, guys, we're being unfair because, let's face it, they are using the actor who, you know, became captain of a starship right out of Starfleet Academy. That's so. true. That's true. Fair point. He's, right. he's got the stuff. Right. I, I knew we were in a little the bit right of... stuff? Oh, God. I knew we were yeah. in a little bit of trouble when they they rear in that mall and they panned into the uh, arcade and someone was playing Operation Wolf in 1984, which I believe came out in the later 80s. Ah, yeah, <laughs> I think so. In, fa- in fact, I, I, I was so confused by it. I actually went into like a, a deep Google dive to see maybe there's a reason. Maybe there's some kind of in-joke that they chose Operation Wolf that has to do with something in this story that I'm missing. But no, it just looks like that someone just grabbed some... generic 80s arcade games and didn't pay attention to when they came out. Well, the the color scheme in Minerva's bedroom with the the paint, the subtle pinks and everything, I was like, that's late 80s stuff. That's that's freaking Miami Vice era 80s stuff. That was well before, or well after 84. 
Um, no, the Miami Vice. Let's see, when the hell was Miami Vice? Miami Vice was early eighties. No, it wasn't and, early. No, no, it wasn't early eighties. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm gonna check. Um, there were a couple things where Steve Trevor was reacting to to modern technology that was like he's like freaked out by the escalators. I'm like, eh, no, I remember going on an escalator that was from about 1900. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, and we we assume Steve is a man of the world. He seems to be know things pretty well when we meet him in the first movie. So I, I think he would have run into an escalator before. Uh, first episode of Miami Vice aired September 16th, 1984. I suppose it's possible that in Washington, D.C., they would have Miami 80s colors. But No! <laughs> no! Because, because the fireworks, it's July 4th. Miami yes. Vice hasn't even premiered yet. I know. So, I, I, I wasn't going to... Fuck you! I wasn't... I wasn't going to give it the full <laughs> mea culpa, but I, I, I thought I would at least throw that out there. Well, Miami Vice didn't invent that style. That style was popularized by Miami Vice, but it was already something that was going on. But yeah, it wouldn't be But it was also somewhat isolated to Miami of the 80s, that particular color scheme. That hadn't really spread to much of the rest of the country yeah. at that point until Miami Vice premiered. I'll agree with that. Yeah. Fuck you, Andy. Fuck yeah. you. DC, they're fashion forward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jim. We're going to end this out with a few. Uh, well, uh, Jake has some nits to pick, so uh, he's got some questions for us here. Uh, so he writes, uh, "Help wait, me out here." Wait, wait. What? What? Well, I was, I was mentioning Jake. You broke that man. What the hell? You and your some people can box. handle the silver ball, and some people can't. <laughs> you bastard! You broke our Jake. So Jake writes, "Hey, fuckers! I, I got questions. Help me out here." Uh, first off, why does every DC hero except Batman have to have an extremely long I can fly scene? And so when they were in DC, when Wonder Woman learned she could fly, so she flew all over the world to fly to her apartment in DC. Did she really fly all over the world or was it just a, such a drawn out scene that it felt uh, like she was <laughs> flying all over the world? Because that's yeah. that was my take. Because, yes, when she's immediately back in her apartment, I'm like, she must have not actually traveled very far. Mm. Right. Uh, he right. also asks, uh, well, just because you make the jet invisible, it can still be tracked by radar because it's still there. You just can't no. see it, right? No, it's magic. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, one word, magic. Yeah, yeah. What, are you, yeah. what are you talking about? It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's invisible. It's, yeah. it's magic, you know. Magic exists in the DC world, and it, there you go. Yep. Uh, we we, we kind of covered this one a little bit, but he does a, put a nice addendum on it. He says, so everyone in the world asks for selfish things. No one asks for world peace, cure cancer. Uh, for that matter, you saying someone actually said, sorry, mom, but those tumors are going to have to come back now? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it depends on who you talk to, but there's <laughs> there is a thing in philosophy that says that even the most seemingly magnanimous motivations are inherently still selfish because yeah, you're doing it to make yourself feel better about this, that, or the other thing. So I don't... If that's the case, though, then then this whole wishing lesson is meaningless. Yes. Right. We're, we're, we're just going to be selfish anyway because we already are? Yeah, that's one and, of the, and, it, the issues with the, the, the storyline. And plus, arguing that in a philosophy class is one thing. Right, sitting there with your dying mom saying, "Yeah, sorry, mom, the tumor's got to come back." That's a whole other concrete yeah. level yeah. of 
Yes. You have to die so that the rest of us don't. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the needs of the many, Steve. Yeah. Uh, hey, I'm like I say, when you're oh, wishing. Geez, Steve, why don't you just sit back and talk about something you know about instead of, you know. Twenty twenty. I hate your guts. Anyway, the trailer just came on here, and I'm and I'm seeing the lasso and remembering how much I hate the use of the lasso. The 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 Spider Man magic web lasso bugged the hell out of me. It's magic, Andy. It's a magic lasso. Still bugged the hell out of me. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was an interesting idea, but a it was overused and. The execution just wasn't that good. Yeah. Listen, if Zeus can throw lightning, she can ride him, all right? That, yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. like I say, it was kind of an interesting idea. I just don't think it was executed all that well. And it was and tremendously Wonder, overused. Wonder Woman can ride whatever the hell she wants. <laughs> <laughs> There's an argument for the uh, the engineer whose body was hijacked by... Uh, Steve Trevor. I mean, if he can remember, <laughs> that might be worth being hijacked for a while. <laughs> like he remembers. Oh, well, there, there's another. There's actually my nifty no prize here, which I know is a wrong studio for why Steve Trevor can fly a jet plane. Maybe the body was inhabiting. Maybe that guy actually had flown a jet plane at some point. Yeah, I'm going to have to go ahead and disagree with you on that one. And I was just <laughs> trying to come up with, I was pulling at straws. Well, you know what? In comic book logic, that's uh, not bad. Just bring him the fuck back. That whole inhabiting the body was weird. Yeah. It was, and, and, and I think everybody made the point. It's like, if you're going to do that, you've got to be making some kind of statement. And, and they really did not tackle this man needs his life back. They didn't really tackle that. Yeah, that, right. that, that could have been a really interesting way of approaching her struggle with giving yeah. up her wish and they yeah. and they they missed a, an opportunity there yeah i think a lot of that was um yeah i mean you're, you're right that's an opportunity if, if they'd actually established the guy was a dick and he was actually replacing a, a bad person in the world that'd be a fun way to make it even more challenging but i think the scene with the fact that he was actually taking over somebody's body was so that he'd have an apartment and so you could do that fashion show the 80s fashion show yeah yeah, yeah. It's just dumb. Yeah, no. It's, it's, it's for, if you have and, to do that for a badly improv scene, okay. It, a friend of mine had this whole thing about um, for a movie that's all about female empowerment, they sure do spend a long lot a long time with Diana wrestling whether or not she wants her old boyfriend to hijack this guy's body, and then that and then said old boyfriend has to mansplain to her. <laughs> What a bad idea it is. To yeah, that that was a weird just, thing. It's like, it's like, okay, she's literally cannot give up the quote-unquote one true love of her life. I mean, really? He, he was gone, and he's, and then he's back, and then she can't move on because if she, moving on means giving him up, it's like, you had moved on. I, well, I don't well, know. Jeff, Jeff, there's moving on, and then there's... 60 years later, I still can't date anybody not moving on. Exactly. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. It, mm-hmm. it, it does hurt. It does hurt the whole empowerment aspect of the yes. show. Oh, you're right. You're absolutely yeah, you can't, you, yes. you can't live without when, a man. And, uh, yeah. You're the strongest woman in the world. I mean, come on. That's, 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 a blow, that's a blow 
it's a slap in the face to everything that the first film stood for. She's, she'd never lack for a man. She's so damn beautiful <laughs> and confident. I mean, did, she's going to have tens of thousands of men wherever the fuck she wants. So it, it, you, you're talking about 60 years of temptation and her holding out, never wanting to love again. It's just sort of like, goodness gracious. Well, yeah. Yeah. Well, you did. It's, you did see in the movie that every every guy was a prick, so it kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was the '80s, you know. Yeah. When was this movie supposed to be released? Was summer? Uh, uh, it yeah. was shot in 2018, so it was supposed to be released in 2019. Right. Okay. So that whole shoehorning in the Trump stuff would have made more sense and would have been more salient before. But it's. I'm telling it's you, terrible. the Trump parallels are barely there. Yes, it, it's, it's it's slight, if anything. They're more there yeah. than, the than the end. One and of they, the problems as a comic book fan with the whole Max Lord parallel to Trump is that whatever else they may be similar in, there's one crucial difference. Max Lord is brutally, efficiently competent. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, and there's that. Uh, and, and he, and he loves his son, too. Yeah. yeah and in the comics. Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, shit. In the comics, Max Lord really is on top of shit. He really, really is. And, and, um, it, yeah. Yeah, like one step removed from like uh, Lex Luthor style exactly. intelligence. Like, not quite as on par with Lex, but right in that mm-hmm. same vein. It's Raymond Reddington stuff. He's always three or four yes. steps ahead of everybody else. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, what That's were you what... asking on the, the letter, Todd? <laughs> <laughs> well, we have time for one more question from the letter, so we'll just skip to the last one and the most important one. Uh, what did Grogu wish for? <laughs> Uh, that's a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, Jake. So yeah, you're crossing the streams there. Yeah, I can't, can't even can't even address that. Grogu's probably long since dead. Somebody's got to have a shot at this. Who? What did Grogu wish for? I More think he just wished for that silver ball. Oh yeah, yeah. Ever, ever since he was a young boy. Yeah. See, <laughs> Grogu right. and me, silver ball through and through. What's your silver ball? Write to us comments at uglycouchshow.com and uh, let us know what you thought of uh, Wonder Woman 40, uh, 44. Boy, I wish that movie had been existed. <laughs> yeah. That Wonder Woman 84. An interesting film. Wonder Woman yes. 44, go right uh, to World War II. I'm down. But until next week, I am Master Torgo. 80s Jeff. Commander K. Jack Jack Dandy. Professor Biggs. And we'll talk to you next week in Geek. Happy New Year, everybody. Yep. Happy New Year! Happy New Year! Oh my god. So, Everybody so, eat so some fried well, peas. Yeah, right? <laughs> so somebody out there in Wonder Woman land uh, had to have wished for their own, I mean, own Yoda at least. Not baby Yoda, but Yoda was around at the time. Some kid had to have wished for Yoda. Yeah. Did, a, did Yoda actually then appear? Would, would that have, is the wish powerful enough for that? I don't know. Yeah, but it would have uh, been in the body of his baby sister. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <God. laughs>